0: Hello and welcome to Driverless. I'm your host, Zach Adams. Today's episode features Chris Egner, who's a corporate attorney in the global expert team for product liability at Continental Tire. Chris has won many accolades and was recently featured in the Women in Law edition of the Attorney at Law Magazine. In this episode, Chris tells us about all the technology that Continental is deploying, including package delivery robotic dogs and autonomous car doors. She then dives really deep into the delicate balance of managing liability as an attorney and supporting innovation by the engineers at Continental. This episode was a lot of fun and Chris's profound understanding of the technology involved combined with her training as a lawyer made her a really interesting guest and someone we hope will come back on the show in the future. As always, you can contact us at at underscore driverless on Twitter or driverless at tuckerellis.com. For now, let's get rolling to today's episode of Driverless. Chris, welcome to the show.
1: Good morning, thanks for having me.
0: So Chris, uh, you work at kind Continental. Of what do you do there?
1: So I'm an in-house uh, counsel for Continental. I am in a what's called a global expert team. I focus mainly on product liability and product integrity issues, but I'm, I also do support labor and employment.
0: Okay, so it sounds like you wear a couple different hats, is that right?
1: Most definitely. <laughs>
0: okay, and Continental, uh, obviously for our audience, You guys make a lot of parts that deal with motor vehicles and other types of transportation. Is that right?
1: Yes. And, you know, the common misconception is that Continental Tire is just a tire company. But unlike some of the other tire manufacturers, we do have other products. For example, the full line of automotive components. So we make pretty much 99% of the components in, in a given vehicle. And our headquarters for that is in Auburn Hills, Michigan. Um, where I'm at is in Fort Mill, South Carolina, which are, is our tire headquarters, but I still do a range of um, litigation and claims with respect to all of our products.
0: Got it. Well, okay. Well, that's a great natural segue uh, because as you know, the show deals a lot with autonomous vehicles and as someone who works in the legal department of a company that manufactures, like you said, over 90% of the components in uh, these vehicles, let's start here. How does Continental see itself fitting into the future of autonomous vehicles?
1: Continental is looking to reduce the growing public fear of self-driving vehicles through the development of technology. And what I mean by that is, you know, I think you can understand with all the negative press on autonomous vehicle crashes, I think there is growing skepticism, even fear of self-driving vehicles. So with that, you know, even with some of the existing technology that Continental has, has put out there... I think we have the potential to save lives. And to give you some examples of that, we have uh, the forward collision warning or automatic emergency braking, the lane departure or lane keeping assist, and even blind spot warnings. But keep in mind, you know, these features are only installed in just 10 to 35%, I'd say, of vehicles right now. So we really just need to continue to build the process toward automation. It sounds
0: kind of like part of what Continental is trying to do is build the trust through incremental steps instead of just one day I get in a car and it's driving itself. Is that right?
1: That's absolutely correct. I think it's, you know, as I'll talk about later, it's more of an evolutionary process.
0: Got it. And one of the more interesting things I've seen kind of out of your literature and some of the uh, speak engagements that I know you've done in the past is this vision zero that Continental has. Can you kind of explain to our audience what vision zero is?
1: Sure, so Vision Zero is in line with what we kind of just discussed. It, it, Continental is looking to reduce traffic fatalities, injuries and accidents to zero by way of creating safer roads through high-tech innovations.
0: Obviously, the goal, I'm guessing the zero in that is no accidents, is that right?
1: That's correct.
0: Okay, but as a lawyer, and especially, I mean, as a very uh, you know, well-practiced trial lawyer who's dealt with product liability cases, you know that, I mean, the idea of actually having a zero is, is pretty hard to get to. And so I guess I'm wondering how you deal with that, the tension of engineers and business people who want to tout this vision zero as we're not going to have any fatalities, we're not going to have any accidents, versus a lawyer who, as a, all, all good lawyers are, they're risk adverse, and they're always trying to couch uh, the things that we tell customers and the things we tell the public versus what reality might look like. How do you deal with that tension at Continental in your role?
1: You know, from a legal perspective, as you mentioned, I think the message that higher technology is going to reduce traffic fatalities, injuries, accidents to just zero to nothing is challenging indeed. But I I do think that the message needs to be taken on a much larger scale and that through technology, the hope is that we can reduce traffic accidents. I mean, I think it's certainly true that machines don't blink, humans do. And statistically, I looked this up actually, the average person blinks 15 to 20 times per minute. So when we talk about machines, they see in darkness, rain, snow, or even fog. Also, machines don't get fatigued or intoxicated. But of course, I'm gonna caution, you know, again, from a legal perspective, we need to be careful with intoxication and similar altered mental status. I mean, I think we really just need to be careful with managing expectations, particularly when we deal with level three automation when humans are asked to take over in certain circumstances. I think the message from manufacturers should be should avoid advocating being intoxicated and allowing your vehicle to be in full control under those circumstances.
0: And you know, Chris, that's actually a really interesting point. And I'm glad you brought that up. And it's, it's really obvious right now that I'm talking to another lawyer, right? Because I think a lot of people trump this as, okay, great, this vehicle will take care of me. And that means even whenever I'm impaired, it can do the heavy lifting for me. But That's not really, I think, the best test case or best use case for this technology. This technology isn't being put in place so that we as humans can act irresponsible or so we can rely on these vehicles to do things that we're not at that time capable of doing. I think the best use of this technology is probably to supplement our abilities and hopefully offload some of the things that, you know, the tediousness of it or things like that that lead to, you mentioned blinking and I kind of laughed a little bit. I mean... There are sometimes, in whenever I'm on a long drive that those blinks, not only am I blinking more, but those blinks get longer and longer. And like you said, the fatigue sets in. So I think it's interesting that you bring up the difference of letting this technology help us and take over the tedious nature of driving that can sometimes exist versus allowing us to act irresponsibly and hope that the vehicle makes up for our shortfalls. I think that's a really interesting point. Kind of progressing from that, at C, you guys were at CES in two thousand nineteen, right? Yes,
1: yes, of and- course. We're a large presence there, and, and I love talking about the technology that Continental brings because you know, from a legal perspective, we as lawyers, we don't always get involved in the engineering part. And I love talking to my engineers about what's out there and, and what we can what we really see is what Continental showcases at at events such as CES. You know,
0: absolutely, and I, that's another reason I was so excited to have you on the show. I think you're right that most, time, most of the time lawyers working on these cases or dealing with these products, they kind of just want to know the bare minimum that uh, gets them by as opposed to really digging into the technology. And clearly from your role and you know, your growth at a company like Continental, you clearly care about the technology. And so can you just give us a quick recap of the technology and the products that Continental was debuting at CES this year?
1: Of course. So you've heard of smartphones, right? Well, like, I, yeah. yeah, I think we all have I think we all I mean, it's almost become an attachment right to our, right. our arms and we just can't live without our phones. And so, you know, at, at CES this year, Continental Showcase innovations for what we call smart cities. So, again, going back to statistics about half the world's population right now lives in cities. It's and, and, and I, I think it's like three decades from now, the number is supposed to grow by and I, I this is what I got to two point five. Billion. I mean, that's a huge number. And so based on this, we need to adapt to a new mobility, what we call ecosystem. And that's exactly what Continental showcased at CES. So I, you know, I want to say there's um, one of our executive board members, when he was uh, addressing the most critical challenges of urban mobility, his name is Helmut Maschi. He stressed that Continental will develop solutions that foster mobility intelligence, ease traffic congestion, and reduce accidents and pollution. So Continental's already implemented its first comprehensive intelligent intersection pilot that's actually operating right now in the heart of Walnut Creek, California. So people ask me all the time, what is this? What's this pilot program? It's an actual real world end to end solution comprising of of like sensors, algorithms, generating a comprehensive environment. That's basically transferring valuable information between the intersection itself and connected vehicles. So what it does is it makes possible to warn like an oncoming driver about like a crossing pedestrian outside the driver's line of sight. It also, data can also be used to control signal changes, streamline traffic, and then reduce emissions and idling time at intersections.
0: That's really interesting, Chris. So, and this is kind of the vehicle to X, right? Like we've heard of vehicle to vehicle communication. This is kind of like the vehicle to everything else, right? That's kind of what you're talking about? Okay. And so- One of the things I think is really interesting about this V2X is whenever people talk about it, uh, there's a range. People who seem to really know this technology get really excited about it. I can hear it in your voice. I'm the same way where I get really excited about my car, you know, the uh, the future where intersections don't stop them because that's just kind of an inefficient use of space. Whenever you could just navigate with these vehicles, who should be going through and it would you know, instead of having a full complete stop, you'd more likely have a slow down and then a speed up just to make sure everyone's going seamlessly. But how have you navigated or, or how's Continental navigated working with these other entities who have never really envisioned themselves as part of a smart anything, right? I don't think the people that manufacture, uh, you know, uh, traffic lights right now, do that manufacture the button that you press for pedestrians walk across the street have ever envisioned themselves in the same space as uh, smartphones. So how does Continental navigate working with people who have legacy products that don't naturally uh, lend themselves to this technology and helping to get them ready for the future.
1: You know, I think that's a big picture thing where we're dealing with like the smart city because that you're dealing with vehicle to environment and that's going to be a progression. So I think continental has been working more on the component features of a connected vehicle. So for example, you know, another thing we showcased at CES was our, um, it's called our intelligent door system, which actually received the CES 2019 Innovation Award. Um, it's, it's, what it is, is essentially an autonomous opening and closing door system that detects obstacles, it prevents collisions and finger pinches, and it also helps the more fragile and elderly individuals on incline. So like I saw like this some um, kind of like a, a, it was like a video, they had an animation that showed someone that's, you know, in in cities, particularly where there's hills, an elderly person coming out of a vehicle. And and usually, as you know, sometimes the car doors will just fly open. Well, when you have something like an intelligent door system, it opens, you know, gradually and it allows and, and provides support to that elderly person. So, you know, again, we just start with, you know, something small, like working within the vehicle and also other products that don't necessarily need um, or rely on the environment and other products such as, and I'm I'm really excited about this one. You may have seen some of the videos. It's online now. If you Google it, it's our autonomous robot dogs. It's kind of. Those
0: and, are really cool, but please, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. Continue. Yeah,
1: no, not at all. I'm so excited to talk about it. It's actually what we call it. It's called the animal. So animal deliver. <laughs> Clever, right? Um, right. Yeah. So the idea is to have the cube carry the robot dogs and deliver your packages and for food or any other items, kind of like a little Amazon robot dog. Although obviously there's been no partnership with Amazon, but the idea really is to have this cube. Oh, let me back up. Are you familiar with the CUBE?
0: No, I, I'm not. I actually, I know about the animals, uh, but I'm not familiar with the CUBE, so please, okay. yeah.
1: Yeah, so actually the CUBE has come out, and it's, it was developed in advance of this animal robot delivery dog, and the CUBE stands for Continental Urban Mobility Experience, and basically it's Continental's version of the ultimate driverless passenger transportation. And it's also going to be used in those urban areas to decrease traffic congestion. So I think right now there's been some, um, there's already a pilot program in Vegas. I don't know if you've been to Vegas lately, but they have these driverless uh, passenger transportation buses and, and they they drive around people around Las Vegas and they'll you know drop them off at various locations.
0: Yeah, I was actually fortunate to to ride in one last time I was in Vegas. And it, it was a really surreal experience because you realize that while this technology isn't mainstream, it does exist. And you can kind of see that it's just going to take a matter of time for it to become more proliferated. But I kind of want to, I need to dig more into this Cube and Animal situation. So is this a end-to-end product that Continental themselves are developing? Or do you guys have any partnerships in making this happen?
1: Yeah, so right now Continental is the primary developer of the Animal robot delivery dog, but there are some components in it that we do partner with others on. Um, But Mm. now we are certainly the primary um, supplier and developer of these robot dogs.
0: What was the driving force of coming up with this technology? Because it seems like it really fits a niche uh, that's probably being overlooked. I think everyone's in a rush to find a way to help people get around. But at the same time, I mean, with Amazon and just the rise of online shopping and online commerce, we're seeing more and more that packages being delivered It's going to be a real problem. So, how did Continental think of that and I mean, this seems to me to be like one of the spaces that Continental could be a leader in tomorrow as opposed to going into the space where everyone else is with uh you know uh, passenger rides and things like that
1: yeah, so some this delivery system was again, part of the whole idea to reduce congestion and traffic congestion in urban cities, based on those statistics that we talked about earlier, because again, you know, if you're talking three decades from now, you're going to have two and a half more billion people in cities, you know, the more, you know, with the rise of Amazon and companies like that, where people are just shopping from home, you know, I think the idea is to reduce traffic with respect to delivery companies, right? So now you've got one cube this this driverless passenger system that's driving around the city and letting let's say six to ten robot delivery dogs come out and go to the various stops and drop off packages and they're in contained you know uh drop off package locations where you can have your own security code to open your packages and things of that nature too so all of this again goes in line with the objective to reduce traffic congestion
0: that's that's really impressive and and certainly uh, a noble goal, I think, that all of us can kind of get behind as someone who will be uh, in L.A. next week. Uh, anything to reduce traffic is, is great in my book. Um, let's, let's kind of shift gears a little bit. Uh, you, we had talked a little bit about Level 3 and kind of how there's this handoff between driver and vehicle. How has the partnership for Level 3 Features worked so far?
1: Yeah, so actually, uh, it's great that you bring this up. So Continental, along with NVIDIA, Bosch, Akwansha, and Volkswagen Group of America, they actually joined forces to make up what's called the NAV Alliance. So NAV stands for Networking for Autonomous Vehicles. I mean, going back again to you know what self-driving cars have become, they've basically become data centers on wheels. Again, I looked at statistics in 2017, for the first time ever, there were more cars added to cellular networks in the US than phones. That's incredible. So, I mean, if you think about it, the volume of data generated by multiple sensors, because you understand in connected vehicles, you've got cameras, radar, LIDAR, ultrasounds, right? They can reach up to 32 terabytes every eight hours. So, you know, most of us, we don't deal in terabytes. So I'm like, you know, what is a, what's a terabyte? So let me put in perspective. One terabyte equals 1,024 gigabytes. So this level of data transfer calls for a new breed of ultra high speed networks. And they, what they call it is a multi gig ethernet. And that's exactly what the NAV Alliance is going to develop. A reliable next gen of like networking platform within self-driving vehicles.
0: The amount of data we're dealing with is unprecedented. And especially whenever you consider that. Right now, we're at such a, a small point in the progression of these vehicles that we're only going to do with more and more. And I, I don't even think we're close to understanding and getting our arms around what that could look like in 10, 20, 30 years. How are you guys building that out? I mean, that's, that's a massive undertaking.
1: So I think it's, again, a, a, an evolutionary process. I mean, we're excited about it. And I think all of these com- companies coming together is the first step towards getting to that multi-gig Ethernet. But understanding through the development of technology our needs and I think that's the first step you know like because we can't develop something where we don't know what we need right now we know it's we're talking about you know terabytes and that's huge so I think we just need to take it in small steps but the biggest step we've taken so far is getting the NAV together
0: I mean, if you guys are able to pull that off, which it sounds like you will be, that's going to really change the game, not just for the people in that alliance, but the other people that I'm guessing will want in later on, right?
1: Most definitely. That's the hope.
0: Yeah. And so I'm wondering if you could talk a little more about level three as a lawyer who, who really has to assess this liability, because I mean, I've written papers on it. I've talked a little bit about things like that. But at the same time, I'm coming up from a totally different angle. I'm, you know, I'm a lawyer at a law firm. I represent these companies, but I'm not in-house, I'm not working with the engineers, not working with the business developers, things like that. And so as a lawyer who is at one of these companies on the leading edge of this technology, what are the pros and cons to level three and, and having partial autonomous driving as you see it?
1: All right, so you know, level three is what we call conditional automation. So the pros are obviously convenience, the hope of reduction in traffic accidents, fatalities and injuries. But when we talk about cons, I go back to managing expectations. You know, conditional automation means that drivers are re-engaged in certain circumstances. So for example, we have vehicles right now with what we call cruising chauffeur. So this feature allows for automated driving on the highway. So it's, it's enabled by the driver and then the driver then has to take over after the vehicle exits the highway. So as you can imagine, this can pose issues which is why manufacturers have even solicited the support of what they call the human behavioral specialist. because you know, from a, let's say we have to defend one of these in the future and, and someone is sleeping and warnings have gone off, driver, take over, driver, take over. You know, what is the realistic expectation from a human behavioral specialist standpoint for a driver to actually re-engage and be able to, to take over, right? What if they were looking at their electronics before or even napping? What should be the expectation of drivers, you know? At at least for the foreseeable future, what we expect as manufacturers is that the intended use of a self-driving vehicle would not include, for example, the transportation of a minor, a person not qualified for a driver's license under state law, or what we talked about before, an impaired individual as a loan operator or passenger.
0: That's really interesting that you guys are bringing in those human behavior specialists because I think a lot of people that are worried about this technology they don't give these companies enough credit, and they think all they see are kind of the potential for downside. And they think, okay, well, if this car, you know, is self-driving and it can take me home from the bar after I've had too much to drink, or it can take me home after I've pulled an all-nighter at work, then that's great because I can, you know, drink too much, I can sleep in the car, things like that. And It's interesting that you you are already assessing your liability based on what you expect your passengers to be doing in those vehicles when they're not driving. Uh, i'm guessing that 's intentional right i 'm guessing you guys thought about this a long time ago, and that 's why you're doing what you 're doing
1: yes and 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 it's it's something we have to anticipate because it's it 's something that some people have said is foreseeable because of people 's expectations and so I think you know from a manager um, a manufacturer's standpoint, you really need to develop warnings for consumers so they understand that they're still you know liable for their conduct you know it's not a free-for-all there's still expectations with respect to autonomous driving it's not just okay someone's just going to drive you around you can go to sleep or you know be intoxicated or impaired and just expect the vehicle to take over
0: i know that the continental i mean you guys don't sell the cars yourselves uh, you're not a um, dealer you don't have any dealerships or things like that but what I guess I'm wondering is, do you, from your perspective, do you think whenever I'm purchasing this car, I'm going to sign a contract that says, I agree that I will not hold blank car manufacturer responsible, should I be asleep or should I you know, be impaired, things like that? Or do you think it's going to be a prompt that comes up every time I get in the car? Or I guess, how do you see navigating that space of liability between the passenger or owner of the vehicle and the manufacturer of the vehicle?
1: Sure. So, I mean, you raise a really good point because, you know, how is that going to be communicated to the consumer? So a lot of the times warnings right now are in a user's handbook or, um, you know, in in manuals or or contracts that maybe you sign when you purchase a vehicle. But when you're starting to deal with more of these higher level autonomous vehicles, what should be in place? And, you know, from a manufacturer standpoint, maybe there should be some sort of training or guidance in the beginning. Because I know, you know there are some manufacturers now with just some, some smaller aspects of um, autonomous or connected you know, technology in a vehicle, you still get some sort of training course from the vehicle manufacturer from a dealership. They offer courses for you. I, I don't know if you're aware of that. So for example, like BMW, I know that you can take like a Saturday course, they invite you in and someone, it'll be a dedicated representative who'll sit down with you and go through all of the features in your vehicle so you're aware of them and you know how to use them now. Whether there's a contract involved in that or not, or something signing saying that you've undergone the course, maybe that's um, preferred from a from a liability standpoint. But I don't know <laughs> Sure. That would be um, that would be something you know that a dealership would would want. But again, it it is something that I think training um, for a, a potential driver for an autonomous vehicle should should undergo. Maybe in the future, that's something to definitely think about.
0: As far as those courses go, while they exist right now, they're largely elected. By largely, I mean, I don't know of any that are mandatory. And so it'll be interesting to kind of see how those dealerships navigate that space in managing their liability and forcing the consumer to do something that maybe they don't want to do or forcing them to you know, sign the contract that maybe they don't want to sign in order to have this technology at their fingertips. How does Continental push the edge and stay on the cutting edge of this technology and where it's going to go in the future. While I also understand that the technology as it sits, it's not perfect and it's very unlikely that the technology is going to be perfect in the foreseeable future. So I'm kind of wondering how you balance that tension in that management of liability in your role.
1: Yeah, so Continental, you know, I think they see it as a building block approach to gaining that consumer acceptance. I think there's going to be, there has to be a clear progression from partially automated to fully automated driving you know, one of the things I hear a lot from you know passionate drivers. You know, there's there's car shows all the time. There's people who just love driving, and they say, "Well, I don't want to lose the passion or enjoyment of driving." So I say, you know, at the press of a button, the driver can turn the systems on or off as desired. And I don't know that that function's ever going to be uh, disabled. Whereas you just have a fully Autonomous vehicle that you know transports a driver, and they can't choose that option whether to engage it or not.
0: We talked a little bit about the human behavior specialist, but what other kind of testing protocols does Continental use to make sure that their products are roadworthy when they go out the
1: door? Yeah, so um, we did talk about the human behavioral specialist. We. The, what we also talked about is the pilot programs that we have at, like, for the example, of Walnut Creek with the Intelligent Intersection. I think pilot programs are a great way to kind of observe how that technology is functioning in real world, you know, environments. And, of course, we are doing uh, vehicle testing in controlled and even public environments.
0: Is that mainly through Continental itself or are you partnering with a manufacturer or someone like that?
1: It's actually both. And one of the ones that you may be aware of is in California with Google. So we provided the braking systems for some of the um, autonomous vehicles that Google has. And they've developed a a partnership with, I think it's Lexus. And they have those cars traveling in a pilot program all around California right Mm -hmm. now. So um, you can see those vehicles there and that's actually Continental's brake systems in them.
0: Well, getting the Waymo account had to be a big break for Continental, I'm sure, right?
1: Yes, that was definitely a, a big a big success for us.
0: Before we get you out of here, I really this is something that I think our audience, specifically, uh, again, the intersection of law in this kind of autonomous vehicle, artificial intelligence technology, would be really curious about. So I've got to ask, what's your take on the absence of autonomous vehicle uh, specific letter, legislation in in the United States? Is it preferable or frustrating?
1: yeah so you know although there's not specific federal legislation in the u.s i think you're aware NHTSA has established a voluntary safety self-assessment for companies uh, developing automated driving systems and it includes 12 safety elements and all of this is accessible on the NHTSA website and at least set some minimum federal standards to guide manufacturers in their risk assessment and mitigation efforts so some of them for example is system safety operational design domain object and event detection and response, uh, validation methods, human-machine interface, data recording, um, and of course, what we talked about before, consumer education and training. So all, you know, there's a a couple more, but it's part of this whole NHTSA um, guidance, right? And so even though there's not specific federal legislation, there's certainly for now guidance from NHTSA, the American National Standards Institute, Um, International Organization for Standardization, ASTM International, and then organizations like technology-specific consensus standards from, let's say, SAE also has um, some guidance as well.
0: In light of all of these standards, guidelines, industry practices, things like that, does Continental think that's enough direction and enough regulation in this space, or are you guys anticipating um, the incoming federal legislation that's more mandatory and
1: binding? I think the expectation is that eventually there will be specific federal legislation. But for now, in this development process, as we call it, I think it's still good to have guidance. Because I think when you put in specific federal legislation, it's not going to address all the potential issues that could arise as we see right now and observe in the development process.
0: Yeah, I think that's right. I think I think part of what's been great about the absence of federal legislation has been it's allowed these companies to innovate and really push the edge and try and get this technology to progress as much as possible. Um, but it'll be interesting whenever the turning point comes, the federal government decides, hey, we've got to you know, weigh in on this. Um, but I'm sure it sounds like Continental is prepared for that, right?
1: Yep. I mean, we're certainly getting prepared. And I think it's not a you know, one business unit thing. I think it's all of the business units coming together and along with other um, departments within Continental, such as relying on our government relations uh, personnel, our legal team, obviously, engineers, um, quality. There's so many different facets in the organization that are coming together to, to help promulgate this project. And I think that autonomous driving, as we say, the future is now. And so we're hoping that we, Continental, will be the forefront in the development of autonomous driving as far as suppliers uh, are for manufacturers.
0: Well, it certainly sounds like you're on your way. And and I thank thank you so much for coming on the show. And and before you get out of here, uh, where can our audience find out more about the things that Continental is doing in this space?
1: Yeah, so we actually have a website. And if you just type in Continental Automotive Autonomous Driving, you will find us.
0: Great. Well, Chris, thanks so much for coming on. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Thanks for having me.